Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode from Bethel Worship Center. I do want to make a quick note. Uh, as I get into my message from this week, you'll notice that uh, the audio kind of dips and uh, what you're hearing is the house, uh, not straight from the recording. So it happens right after Brooke, one of our team members, reads the opening text. Uh, but after about a minute and a half, the audio will be corrected and you'll be able to hear me a lot clearer. So uh, as always, uh, thank you for listening to Bethel Worship Center's podcast, and we pray that this message blesses you today. Today, Pastor Javen continues the series, In It, Not Of It. Daniel chapter 5 challenges us not to let our stubbornness cause us to miss God's clear message. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Minute, Neil. You have your Bible. We're going to turn and we're going to read some scripture. And it comes from 2 Timothy 2. And I'll give you a second if you want to turn to that. It's 2 Timothy 2. It's right on the screen. What I love about scripture is that it speaks differently to everyone. So before we read this, I want you to pray with me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, tell me what you would have me to hear. The word is alive. And we ask you to speak. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Starting with verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition.
Typically, because think about how often we've heard the, the term Father Abraham. You see that throughout Scripture. Maybe when you were in church and you grew up, you, you sang the song, Father Abraham. Anybody remember doing that? And you got so tired of doing this the whole time you were singing Father Abraham. Some of you, if you didn't grow up in church, you're like, I'm glad I didn't grow up in church. Because yeah, I don't want to do that. But that's what, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's what it's talking about. There's an ancestral line. And for years in universities... Professors would use this to say, this is why you can't trust the Bible. Because everyone knows there was never a king in Babylon by the name of Belshazzar. Well, that was until years ago, archaeologists uncovered an inscription that was found in the Iraqi desert, which Iraq was the area where Babylon would have been. And on this inscription, it mentioned and revealed that Nebuchadnezzar, the son-in-law had moved away out into the desert somewhere and he left his son, Belshazzar, in charge to be king. All right? So just give it time. Humanity will catch up to the Bible, right? Eventually it does. Now, we don't know why Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, was off and away. We, we don't know all that, but what we know is Belshazzar was king. And kind of to understand too and set the stage for where Belshazzar is in this moment, it's believed that the Medes and the Persians were sitting right outside of their kingdom, ready and waiting to attack. If you remember history classes and things like that growing up, you, 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 you remember this, studying about this. My kids are telling me they're studying about this in some of their classes. So the Medes and the Persians are waiting to attack Babylon and, and quite genius the way they do it, by the way. But Belshazzar, in what seems to be in the line of his grandfather that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, has some pride and some arrogance. And in that pride and arrogance, he decides to throw a party. So let's look at Daniel chapter 5, starting at verse 1, and let's see what's happening here. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. Now, while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups or vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple 
in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups or vessels taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, they drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So Belshazzar, he's throwing himself a little rager, a little kegger, all right? He's throwing a party and he's having him a good old time. And then he makes a mistake. He tells his people, somebody go get those vessels, those things that my granddaddy, when he took Judah captive, we saw in Daniel chapter one, he took all those cups and all those goblets and all those vessels, all those utensils. He took them out of the temple of God and he put them in the temple of Babylon's gods. He said, go get those things and let's bring them in and let's use them for our party. See, Belshazzar is in this moment where he's taken himself way too seriously and he's taken God way too lightly. And we need to remember that in our life. Don't ever let yourself get to that place. But so he's doing this and, and they begin to have this counterfeit worship to counterfeit gods. And we talked about the spirit of Babylon is a counterfeit kingdom that counterfeits everything about the kingdom of God. So they're having this celebration, this worship to counterfeit gods. But he finds out it's also a mistake. It's a mistake because God's got a line that you don't want to find. (laughs) And Belshazzar found it. You know, we've talked from the very beginning of the series that our convictions in us, this is what it did in Daniel. We saw it in Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Our convictions create in us a line that we say we're not going to cross. There's things we might comply with, but there's a line in our life through our convictions. I'm not going to cross because I'm not going to conform. God's got a line too. And when you cross it, he'll let you know. And he does that with Belshazzar. So let's keep going. Verse five. Suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. And the king himself saw the hand as it wrote. And his face turned pale with fright. You think? His knees knocked together in fear. And his legs gave way beneath him. Now, put yourself in Belshazzar and all these partygoer shoes. If you were in that room and you saw a hand and its fingers writing on a wall, you'd be freaked out too, all right? I mean, you got to relate to what's going on here. But Belshazzar gets scared. It says he turned pale. He was so scared his blood pressure dropped, all right? Have you ever had that kind of fear in your life where you felt your blood pressure drop and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to sit down, right? Then it says his knees were knocking. I, I, for me, I get the image. I don't know what kind of images you get when you read the Bible, read things, but I get the image of Shaggy. 
and Scooby-Doo jumping up in his arms. If you were allowed to watch that show, right? And Shaggy's knees are knocking, zoinks, right? Remember that? His knees are knocking. Then it says that his legs gave way. Now, if you have a King James Bible, the King James Bible says that his loins were loosed. Remember, this is written in the Aramaic. The Aramaic says his loins went slack. The joints of his loins. That Freiburg's analytical lexicon says that basically this can be slain for he messed himself. And you're like, David, this is way too much information. But listen, <laughs> I want us to get... I want to start, sometimes we read our Bible and we don't think any, well, anything about what we're reading. We read through this stuff. and we, I mean, how many of you, when you read that, you had the thought that that's what happened to Belshazzar? Probably not many of you. But this is why you should read your Bible and study it. Because you'll find a lot of cool stuff. So anyway. <laughs> Belshazzar literally had the mess scared out of him. He went from stubborn pride to soaked pants. I mean, this is where... We are in the moment with Belshazzar. And all because of the power of the finger of God. In Exodus chapter 8, when God began to move through the plagues on Pharaoh, Pharaoh's wise men and magicians told Pharaoh, the only way this is happening is by the finger of God. This was early in the plagues, but Pharaoh ignored it. He was too stubborn to pay attention that God was doing something. And he ended up losing all the Israelites and a large majority of his army. In Exodus chapter 31, Moses tells us that God gave him the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets by the finger of God. And man, in our humanity, we have been too stubborn to even pay attention to those ten all throughout history. In Luke chapter 11, the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons because he had the power of Satan inside of him. And Jesus basically told them, this is by the finger of God that I am casting out demons. But they were too stubborn to recognize who Jesus was, the anointed one, the Messiah. Don't let your stubbornness cause you to miss out on the work of God in your life. Don't be too stubborn to realize God moving. And we also need to understand there is something about having a holy, healthy fear of God. Yes, we talk about fear of God being a reverence of God. That is an aspect of fear. But we need to have a healthy, literal fear of God as well. Not in the fact that he's going to strike you dead at any moment. But the power he holds just in his finger is unbelievable. And Belshazzar is seeing this play out right in front of his eyes. Let's keep going. Verse 7. The king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers to be brought before him. This should sound familiar. 
he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor. will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. It's a repeated theme in Daniel. Babylon's wise men are called, but in the crucial moments, Babylon's wise men fall and they fail. Counterfeit faith, we've said this before, counterfeit faith, when you need it the most in your life, it will fail you. If your faith is in anything other than God, that faith, when when you need it the most, it is going to let you down. Now, these guys must be contributing in some way because they, they're being kept around. And really, we saw in Daniel chapter 2, they owe it to Daniel because Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill them. But this is the way it is all throughout history, and it will continue to be. When it comes a point, there comes a point in every age where the wise men of that age will fail and will let us down. There, there, there have been incredible people who have brought our society to amazing points done amazing things, brought us to where we are through the gift of God that he's given them. We know that. But when it comes to the ultimate questions of life, wise men will always let us down. They'll always fail us because they cannot cure the large scale problem of the human race. And that is the condition of our heart. There's only been one to ever do that. That was Jesus Christ, the son of God the anointed one, the Messiah. He is the only one that has ever been able to come and cure the condition of the human heart. Let's keep going. When all the king's wise men came, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed. His face turned even more pale. His nobles too were shaken. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall and she said to Belshazzar, long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There's a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar has exceptional ability. He is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he'll tell you what the writing means. I think it's interesting that the queen here recognizes him as Daniel, the one that the king called Belteshazzar. But she realized his name's Daniel. <laughs> we, we've said this from the very beginning. It doesn't matter what Babylon calls you. It only matters how you are recognized in Christ and in your heavenly father. Daniel knew this. That's how he lived his life. And eventually the rest of Babylon caught on <laughs> to who Daniel was and his father in God. See, Daniel's older now, a lot older now. We, when he started this, he was in his teenage years, but he's a lot older now. He's still a part of the kingdom, but he obviously wasn't a part of this party. And, and notice too, that it's, you know, these miraculous events that take place through Daniel's life, it doesn't happen every single day of his life. 
There's been a lot of time that will go by between when God works through Daniel and does something amazing. See, it's not every single day that something extraordinary happens in our life. We just work every day and live every day. And there's gaps in between. But what Daniel shows us is that every day you work and every day you live, just do it faithfully. And when God needs you, at the right time, he'll open the door to work through you and to use you when you're needed. That's where we just have to be open and faithful and willing and attentive. But all throughout Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he kept noting that there was something different about Daniel. There was a spirit in him that was different than what we recognize in Babylon. And now the queen, maybe this was Nebuchadnezzar's wife. It wasn't Belshazzar's wife because it said that his wives and concubine were at the party with him. Maybe this is Nebuchadnezzar's wife. Maybe this is Nebuchadnezzar's wife, his grandmother. But We don't know exactly. But one of them, whoever it is, the queen, they come in and they remind them about Daniel. We need to live our faith openly and publicly and unashamedly. And the reason being is because you may have people around you that need to know that you know God. (laughs) Because if they don't, and they get to a point in their life where they need someone who's got something different about them, they need to know that they can come to you. Live in such a way that people know you are God's spirit filled child so that they'll come to you when they need God in their life. This is what's happening with Daniel. So let's just real quickly look at the rest of Daniel chapter 5. Verse 13. So Daniel was brought in before the king. The king asked him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you're filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they can't do it. Daniel's thinking, yeah, they've done that before. I'm told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me this, uh, their meaning, you'll be clothed in purple robes of royal honor. <laughs> he obviously doesn't know Daniel. And you'll have a gold chain placed around your neck. You'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel had already been the, like one of the highest rulers in the kingdom. Daniel answered the king, uh, keep your gifts. Give them to someone else. But I will tell you what the writing means. Your majesty. Now all of this should sound familiar to you from two weeks ago. The most high God gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned the most high God rules over the kingdoms of the world 
and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. Dan, uh, Belshazzar, you should remember this story. You should know this. You're his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this. Yet you haven't humbled yourself. For you have proudly defiled the Lord of heaven, and you have had these cups, these vessels, from his temple brought before you. You made a mistake. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this hand to write this message. This is the message that God has written. Mine, mine, tekel, and parsa. This is what these words mean. Mine means numbered. God's numbered the days of your reign, and he's brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You've been weighed on the balances, and you've not measured up, king. Parsa means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Those guys that are sitting right outside your kingdom. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes. A gold chain was hung around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Look back with me at verse 23, Daniel 5, 23. He told him, you've been drinking from these things, praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that what? Neither see, nor hear, nor know, or understand anything at all. You're worshiping gods that have no knowledge of anything, no understanding. They can't see anything. They can't hear anything. Psalm 115 tells us a psalm that the Israelites would have sung after Passover meals. And they'd been singing this song ever since they had been freed from Egypt. And Daniel would have known this song. I want you to look at Psalm 115 verses 2 through 8 with me. Why let the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. They have eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. And feel, but cannot walk. And throats, but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. So Daniel is telling Belshazzar, you have become exactly like the gods that you are worshiping who can't see, hear, or know. He reminds him of everything that God did to Nebuchadnezzar, to humble him. And I would have to believe that Belshazzar would know the words of Nebuchadnezzar, who made the proclamation of praise that we read in Daniel chapter four, praising the most high God, who is sovereign and Lord over all. But Belshazzar... He refused to pay attention and listen to understand. And he just turned away from all of that. All the knowledge that he had. 
He just turned a blind eye to it and he didn't apply it to his own life. And he became like the gods he was worshiping. Belshazzar struggled a lot with what we struggle with in our life and its stubbornness is what we talked about a few minutes ago. Robert Morris describes spiritual stubbornness this way. He says, it's your strong will turned towards yourself instead of God. A strong will can be a good thing when it's in the right direction. Daniel and those boys, they had a strong will in their faith. But when it's against God, it's not good. And it's often the way it happens in our life. We may have seen the hand of God work at some point in our life, but we quickly forget. James, the brother of Jesus, says in his word that we see what God has done. We, we read the word of God, but we're like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and quickly walks away, walks away and quickly forgets what he saw. We hear the word, but we don't listen to understand it. We know the promises of God, but we don't apply those promises to our life and to our walk. Knowledge is pointless unless it's applied. I want us to see Romans chapter one, what Paul says happens to a person who is stubborn and who doesn't apply what they've seen from the hand of God. Romans chapter one, look at verses, verse two. God promises the good news long ago through the prophets of Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. Verse 3, in his earthly life, he was born in the King David's family line. Verse 4, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying is y'all have denied a lot of stuff about God, but you cannot deny that. In fact, Paul is saying, we have denied a lot of stuff about God because Paul was one of those. But Paul has seen the risen Jesus Christ. And he said, we can't deny it any longer. God proved who he was through Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 18. Look at what he says. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Listen, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. This is what Belshazzar was doing. Or even giving thanks And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Listen, the spirit of Babylon, it sees, hears, and knows about the work of God, but in its stubbornness, it ignores it. Don't let your stubbornness cause you to miss out on the work of God happening all around you. And not only does it cause you to miss out, it causes you to take the vessels of God and use those vessels for unholy purposes. Because here's what happens. If you don't worship the creator, you'll worship the created. Because your life is looking for something to worship. You were created to worship. 
And what happens when you do that is you'll do exactly what Paul says. You'll exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's what Belshazzar did. That's what Paul explains that's been happening to them. I encourage you to keep to read all of Romans chapter one and sees what happens to someone who is stubborn and hardened in their life when they don't worship God and they pursue what's unholy. Our opening text that Brooke read to us, 2 Timothy 2.21. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy 2? He said, if anyone cleanses himself, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You can be that special vessel that God uses for his purposes. And we can read Daniel chapter five and we can think, I can't believe Daniel had the guts to send people to go get those vessels and bring them out of the temples, temple of their gods and bring them back in and do that with those things. I can't believe he would do that. But we need to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing every day with God's holy vessel? Ourselves. The word holy is used almost 600 times in the scripture. Paul in his writings all throughout the epistles encourages people to be holy, to be set apart, separate yourself. Peter in his letters that, that we have referenced in opening text throughout this series, he says in those passages over and over to let yourselves be set apart as holy, even though you're followers in a faithless society. And what does Paul tell Timothy could happen? Look back at verse 26 of 2 Timothy 2. They, God can use you as a holy vessel so that those around you can come to their senses. That should sound familiar about Nebuchadnezzar and escape their snare of the devil because that's exactly what the enemy's done. He's taken them captive to do his will. So Beth Moore says it this way. She says that the enemy wants to use us to toast an unhealthy cause. And the causes that we typically use our vessels to toast is the cause of power, possessions, and pleasure. But Daniel told Belshazzar, you've been created to worship God and you've been ignoring that. And he basically defines sin to Belshazzar. And he tells him that sin consists of taking what God has set apart for his purposes and using them for your own selfish will and gain. You haven't been worshiping God. You haven't been worshiping the one that holds your very life in his hands. So Belshazzar, he's giving you this message. Mine, mine, tekel, parsa. Mine, your days are numbered. You've been weighed. In the, in the scales and you don't measure up. And so your kingdom is about to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. And we need to get this. Failing to worship God and serve him above everything else in our life and commandeering God's holy vessel for our own selfish purposes. That's something we're often guilty of. And unless we pay attention to God and his word and realize the writing is on the wall for us. We're going to miss it because our days are numbered. Please hear me as we close this message. Our days are numbered. It's appointed unto man once to die. This is something we all face unless we live long enough to see the coming of Jesus Christ. 
We all face death. Steve Jobs, he was the Apple founder, CEO. He's quoted before his death saying, sometimes I believe in God, sometimes I don't. I think it's 50-50 maybe. But never since, ever since I've had cancer, I've been thinking about it more. See, when you're literally faced with death, you start, start thinking about it a lot more. And if I find myself believing a bit more, maybe it's because I just want to believe in an afterlife. That when you die, it doesn't just disappear. The wisdom you've accumulated somehow lives on. But sometimes I think it's just like an on-off switch. Click and you're gone. When you understand Christ, death doesn't have to be that way. But we've got to know our days are numbered. And you've got to know we've been weighed. And we've been put on the scales. And without Christ, we don't measure up. Look at what Charles Spurgeon said, the great preacher. He said, I would have every man put himself into the divine scales. These scales are true to a hair. One grain of sand will tip them. On one side of the scale, I put only one commandment, just one of them. Thou shalt love the Lord, the God, with all your heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And I invite any man who flatters himself that he has no need of mercy, no need of washing in the blood of Jesus Christ. Understands just, in other words, just understanding what Jesus Christ did through his death and resurrection. No need of atonement to put himself into the scales and see whether he measures up to just this one command. Oh, my friends, if we did but weigh ourselves against this very first commandment of the law, we would have to acknowledge ourselves as hopelessly guilty. But then as we begin to drop in the weight of the other commandments until the whole sacred 10 are there, there's not a man under the scope of heaven who has anything less to say, but must confess that he is woefully short of the mark. Paul simply said it this way, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. Not just death is the end of this life, but death and an eternal death and punishment. Our days are numbered and without Christ, we've been weighed and we don't measure up. And so that means that the kingdom that we've been trying to build in our own life, in our own selfishness, we're going to lose it all. Or we can choose to recognize the finger of God that has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ and realize what he has done for us. We can never be good enough on our own. Our own righteousness will never measure up. But Jesus Christ came and he took the judgment of God, the very wrath of God on himself. So now on your side of the scales is the righteousness of Christ and it all balances out and you're no longer found wanting because Christ decided to take a cup of suffering in your place. Jesus, the the gospels tell us that Jesus was in the garden and praying and said, God, take this cup, this vessel from me. But not my will, not what I want, but what your will is. What was that cup? What was that vessel? It was a cup filled with our sin. It was an unholy vessel that God took for us in our place. 
And because of it, we receive forgiveness. We receive a relationship with the Father. We receive mercy. We receive grace. We receive a new life in Him. And we receive eternal life. We receive a kingdom that will never end. Some will say, oh, you're just consoling yourself with religion. No, I'm not consoling myself with religion. I'm concealing myself in Christ. When Paul wrote his letter to the church of Colossae, told him in chapter 3, he said, you have been hidden in Christ. And look what else he told him in chapter 1 of Colossians. We're about to wrap up. Verse 21. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And now you are what? Holy and blameless. As you stand before him without a single fault. Why? Because God doesn't see your sin. When you hide yourself in Christ, when you are concealed in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Our days are numbered. Without Christ, we're weighed and found wanting. But we don't have to lose it all because of what Christ has done for us. Listen to this. We find in the book of Ezra that when Cyrus, the king of Persia, begins to send the people back to Jerusalem, he sends them back with the holy vessels. And he tells them, take these vessels and put them back into the temple. Because see, even if the vessel was used for unholy purposes, God can still make it holy. Paul was telling the church of Colossae, you were once far away from God, but God doesn't see your sin. You're blameless. You're meant to be a holy vessel used for the holy purposes of God. Don't ignore the writing on the wall. The warning has been given. And people will say, well, I don't, you can't believe the Bible can't be true. You can't believe the Bible. Paul was pointing out, he pointed it out in Romans chapter 1. People have missed God all around them, but you can't deny Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. You can't deny that. Two weeks ago, we read in Acts chapter 17 when Paul was talking to the philosophers and those in Athens and Greece. He told him, he said, look, God chose to overlook a lot of ignorance back in the past, but now he can't overlook anything because he sent Jesus to die and resurrect and you cannot deny that. So if you have a problem with the Bible, start with the death and the resurrection of Jesus and just begin to let your faith go from there. And understand this, you don't have all the time in the world. I know it can be cliche to hear that. Belshazzar got this message and died that very night. We're not promised tomorrow. This is a counterfeit heaven. some counterfeit security that you're okay without God. The word of God, Jesus Christ, when he came and walked this earth, did more than just warn us. He gave us hope. He gave us mercy. He gave us grace. He 
gives us new life. So choose to trust the one that gave it all for you. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to request prayer or send us anything that you would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.